This is the Cascade Hiker Podcast. Find us over at CascadeHikerPodcast.com. I'm a country boy with a soft side. My heart wanders up north to the hillside. And I've never met anyone quite as beautiful as you. I've got nothing but my mind's curiosity. I've got nothing but a bucket full of wishbones. Pull them all till the day that you call. Till the strong men crawl and the weak stand tall. You're an angel. With the devil's lips And I can't feel you At the edge of my fingertips I will find you If I have to break this world in two There's the chance I may never get to you. Hey, you know, it was a dream of mine to uh, one day do a live podcast and see who the heck might show up. So um, I appreciate it, everybody. <laughs> I also want to say, I haven't even mentioned this. Thanks, Whitewall. Hey, guess what? Yeah, yeah. Guess what? They're never open on Mondays. These guys all came in here and they said, okay, Rudy, what are you going to have, five people show up? So, hey, thanks, guys. Hey, guys, once again, this is Rachel and Reggie from the Kids Cascade Hiker podcast. And we just um, wanted to say, get the moment you've been waiting for, it's time for the, the Cascade, Cascade Hiker. Hiker. <laughs> All right, guys. My daughter, uh, has, they, they both have a setup back there, too, if you guys want to autograph from them. Uh, Rachel uh, set that up. She's got a little booth over there and everything. So if you want to autograph from her, you can go back there and get that. She was really excited about doing that. So um, I just want to say before we get started that uh, Tammy Azar's here standing next to me, sitting next to me. She's the one that put this, she put this on me. She said, she sent me a text and she said, do a live podcast and I will get all these guys here. And I'm like, uh, I don't know. I don't know if we, we could do that. So anyway, thanks, Tammy. And uh, yeah, um, so it's all because of her and of course, everybody else that's here. So has anybody hiked the Pacific Crest Trail all the way in the crowd? How about half of it? Jim? Jim and Donna? Donna? No? All right. How about today or Sunday? Anybody been on it Sunday? Oh, yeah, that's right. <laughs> Dennis Bertram is right there, yeah. Uh, all right, well, hey, guys, we'll get started. And, and, it, and usually I do this on my bed in my underwear. So this is, uh, this is not, really a, it's not really a good, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So, yeah. I do it on Skype, and I never see the people. In fact, I didn't recognize them when I saw them. So, yeah. <laughs> Just so you guys know, yeah. <laughs> so next on the Cascade Hiker Podcast, what's your name and where are you from? 
Hey, I'm Tammy Asars. I'm uh, originally from right here in Marysville, Washington. Cow pie high! <laughs> Woo! Uh, but now I live in North Bend. Uh, I'm Eli Boschetto. I'm originally from uh, Southern California, but I'm now a proud Oregon resident in uh, Portland. And I'm Philip Kramer. Uh, I actually live just across the water over on Orcas Island. All right. I'm Shantae Salabert, and I flew in this morning from Los Angeles. All right. Right on. So we got, uh, we got, we're from all over the place here, and uh, Shantae cannot handle herself. She might have had too much alcohol already. Um, she's not, not driving, so that's good. Um, can you guys kind of just give a little, uh, you know, what section did you cover? How many miles of the whole trail have you hiked? That kind of thing? Uh, uh, sure, I'll jump in. Uh, uh, I'm Tammy. My book is on Washington, which is uh, all the way from uh, Bridge of the Gods up to Canning Park, BC. Uh, it's 511 miles uh, and change. There's some rhythm going on. Um, and uh, I have hiked uh, almost the entire Pacific Crest Trail. I had to skip a small section uh, by Crater Lake due to fires and also due to uh, a physical challenge I had, which is kind of a fun story, but we'll save that for later. <laughs> um, and so, uh, yeah, so I've seen a lot of it. It's a beautiful place, for sure. Uh, Eli here. I wrote the Oregon guidebook. Um, I've hiked uh, all of Oregon numerous times, and then uh, in California and Washington, I've cherry-picked some of the better portions and hiked those, uh, probably for about a total of uh, probably about 1,200, 1,300 miles. Philip here, really here. <laughs> um, so I through-hiked the PCT in 2013, and then uh, I returned to Northern California for my book and have... Uh, I'm probably getting pretty close to having hiked Northern California about three times at this point. <laughs> All right. Oh, yeah, there we go. I'm Shantae, um, and I obviously did the Southern California portion of the PCT, which is a misnomer, I'll have you know. Uh, my book covers 942.5 miles, specifically. Uh, and that goes all the way up from uh, Campo, California, on the border with Mexico, to Tuolumne Meadows in Yosemite. Right on. Well, hey, um, can you guys kind of, I mean, this is all about the Pacific Crest Trail. You guys, some of you have hiked the whole thing. Some of you haven't or whatever. Can you kind of go through your section? So Washington, Oregon, Northern California, so you guys are in order. Wow. Yeah, just knows that. that can you guys kind of talk, yeah, yeah. Can you guys kind of talk a little bit about your own section? Was there a spot on your, on your section where you're just like, I wasn't expecting this. This place is amazing. I'll start with the desert. So there's this thing I hear all the time. People say, dude, the first 700 miles of the trail is all desert. Like it's this sort of ominous thing that people are terrified about. You're just gonna have a, you're gonna wake up with a tarantula on your face, sand in your toes, a cactus growing out of your head. Like I don't know what people are worried about, but it is magical. And also it's not, there's, there's six mountain ranges before you get to the Sierra. So it's actually a mix of desert and alpine environments. Um, but I remember hiking in the Laguna Mountains uh, for the first time which are about uh, you know, 40, 30, 40 miles into the trail from the Mexican border, about an hour east of San Diego. And you get to this point where you're hiking up in these mountains and you're in sort of this, this low-grade alpine situation with pine trees and everything, and you're looking down several thousand feet to the desert, to Anza Borrego Desert State Park, and it is pure magic. I was just bowled over the first time I did that. 
I had a similar experience on my through hike in the desert, but uh, for the sake of here in my book, Northern California, when I did my through hike, I saw Mount Shasta about twice. And if any of you have actually been to Northern <laughs> California, Mount Shasta is visible from about 300, 400 miles of the PCT. Um, but I happened to be there in fire season on the through hike. So when I returned uh. to, uh, to research the book, I was just sort of stunned that every bend in the trail was another view of Mount Shasta. Uh, well, when I was working on the Oregon section of the PCT, Oregon kind of has this uh, sarcastic moniker of being known as the Green Tunnel because of all of Oregon's trees. A lot of through hikers like to book it through Oregon as fast as they can uh, because the terrain uh, eases out a little bit once they come out of California and then they can try to motor through Washington before the snows come in. But um, when I started working on Oregon, because uh, when I signed on to participate in this project, it was gonna be the first time that I went and hiked the Oregon Pacific Crest Trail. And so I was expecting lots of trees and uh, not a lot of scenery, but then I was really surprised as I uh, progressed through uh, Oregon's Cascade Range because, yeah, you hike a couple of days in the trees, but then every few days you're right up on the flanks of these huge glaciated volcanoes, uh, which is pretty spectacular. But the one section that really kind of blew me away was when you get to Central Oregon, you hit the uh, Central Oregon lava beds, which are nearly 30 miles of just open, exposed volcanic terrain. And uh, I affectionately refer to that section in my book as Mordor, because that's really what it feels like when you're hiking through there over all of that lava rock. And the cool thing about that is that that space, even for as desolate as it is, affords some of the best views that you're gonna find in the Oregon Cascades. Uh, I was born and raised here in, in Washington, so I spent a lot of time in the Cascades, but I think one of the things that surprised me most when I was writing this book is I was up in the North Cascades uh, in October, and I was shocked how many large trees are along the Pacific Crest Trail, right? Some of you are nodding, yeah? It's a, it's a beautiful place, and it just comes alive. When it's a sunny day up there, and those light, large trees are just screaming the right color, uh, you do feel like you're in a really magical space. So for me, that was sort of eye-opening. It turned it into entirely different terrain. Right on. Well, hey, you know, why did you guys write this book? I mean, so there's a series of books. What's, what's the purpose? Why, why did you write it? <laughs> uh, well, there was a lot of stuff on through hiking. Right? And so I think a lot of people, when they think of the Pacific Crest Trail, they immediately think, this is a really big trail. You're going to have to be on it for five months. But the reality is the majority of the people that are doing it are like us. Right? We're, we're on it and we're doing sections because maybe you can't get the time off with work or maybe you just honestly just the idea of spending five months on a trail without good food and a real bed does not appeal to you. Right? Everybody's nodding. Yeah, yeah. No, I like my bed. Uh, and so we wanted a, a section hiking book. We wanted a book that was really designed for people like us. And we also wanted to build it so that we had a logical trailhead to trailhead space where you could get a passenger car right? Because not all of us have four-wheel drive vehicles. And uh, we wanted to document every single little creek and every single little flat spot. Because I can tell you, here in Washington State, when we're doing our hiking, when the mountains are in prime condition, is also when all the through hikers are coming through. And that's probably true with you guys, too. Uh, and so uh, we wanted, you know, sometimes when you're doing through uh, section hiking, your miles are a little bit different. Uh, right? Our goals are different. We want to go to a beautiful place at the end of the night and sit and watch the stars 
chairs and kick back in our whatever. Um, you know, our Eli brings a chair, <laughs> which is great. It's an awesome little camp chair. Yeah, he's a luxury guy. And, uh, and you know, so having those things is important. And, and that's, that's a great thing about section hiking is you can bring a few extra things that, you know, when you're through hiking, you're doing big miles. You're just not going to bring those things. So we want to have that space. And so we wanted to write a book where you could shoot for those really beautiful places. But if you get there, and we know the, the PCT has become quite popular in the last 10 years or so, uh, and those spaces are full, well, what do you do? Your back is tired, your feet are tired, your knees are tired, but you still need to find a spot to put your tent. You're exhausted. And your body is not used to those big miles like the through hikers are used to. So we literally spent hours and hours and years combing the PCT with a fine tooth comb, finding a spot for every single flat spot you could conceivably put a tent. So, <laughs> thank you. <laughs> In the book, we have um, named the, the locations where you could sort of shoot for. And if you get to the lake or you get to that campground and there are no spaces, and it does happen occasionally, we have outlined the next feasible spot where you could put a tent. And not only that, but we put elevation profiles so you can see, do I have to go up for five miles before there's that? So you get your mind prepared for whatever is next. So that was our goal. We wanted these books to be completely dynamic, detail-rich. We basically wanted to build the best possible book for this PCT. And so that's... It's a labor of love, guys. No one's getting rich doing this, but we had a blast doing it. So. <laughs> I mean, my goal was to make tens and tens and tens of dollars writing guidebooks, <laughs> and I have succeeded. Yeah, I mean, all of that, and uh, I mean, I just wanted to hike more, mostly, and it was a great excuse to go do that. It gave me uh, a reason to go back to Northern California and just hike and hike and hike and share it with all of you. Uh, in my case, I was actually working for Washington Trails Association. I was the editor of their magazine for a time, and that's how I got acquainted with Tammy. And uh, one night, uh, Tammy and I, we would have regular meetings about uh, stuff going on and different projects we were working on. Uh, she was one of the great writers that I had uh, while I was at the magazine. But uh, one night, we were having drinks, and she was all, hey, what would you think about participating in a PCT guidebook project? <laughs> and my initial response was, no. Um, <laughs> that's long and far and hard and not really the way that I like to hike because like Tammy mentioned, I carry a camp chair when I hike. Um, I like short days. I like lunches by lakes. Um, I'm a very casual hiker. Um, but then she explained this concept to me of, <clears throat> of section hiking it and I was like, hey, I could really get on board with that because all of a sudden, the idea of section hiking the PCT made it seem much more accessible in a way that a lot of people think of the PCT as a through-hiker-only type of trail. And so breaking, by breaking the PCT up into sections, tackling them little bits at a time, being able to pick portions that appeal to you and not feel like you're committed to doing all of it or necessarily um, everything at one time, is uh, really appealing to, I feel like it was appealing to myself and to a lot of hikers that I know. And so uh, that's when I got really interested in participating. And the other thing that I thought of was it would uh, give me an opportunity to explore some of my own state for a change because uh, I managed the Washington Hiking Magazine from my home in Portland. And so I spent a lot of time <laughs> hiking in Washington, but not so much hiking in Oregon. So this was a good chance for me to switch gears and uh, learn more about my own home state. 
Yeah, and I know you've uh, you've taken that to a whole other level too, with creating your own uh, image around that too, and that's awesome. Uh, website and, and and Facebook and profiles and social media and whatnot. Um, one thing I want to mention too is that not only when they talk about this, like when Tammy was describing the, 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 the tent sites and all these little random spots, I've been contacted. Well, actually, I, I was at the All the West event up in Bellingham. They had a ruck up there, and somebody mentioned, they said, oh, yeah, you know, the, that Pacific Crest Trail Association, or Pacific Crest Trail book by Mountaineer Books. Um, I actually followed that to a T because they had better campsites than anybody ever mentioned that, and I, I'm glad you brought that up because... Seriously, somebody mentioned that, and, and that's, that's a cool thing. When you're going along and you're, you're wondering where the next campsite is, and that's key information, and th that's good. So um, can you guys kind of talk about uh, what was the most challenging things about writing these guides? Because I, I, I like to kind of dig into, like, you know, what about writing them, you know? Shantae? Uh, so I had a full-time job when I started working on this book, and can you imagine walking into your boss's <laughs> office after working for him for nine years and saying, so hey, uh, I've got to go write about a thousand miles of trail. Uh, but I did it. I, I found a bunch of friends who would go out with me for two-day, three-day weekends, and we would car shuttle around, and then finally I took a sabbatical that summer. Um, but it was interesting, like, it, it's there's a lot of things that are challenging because the writing itself is not difficult. The hiking is awesome. Uh, and getting paid tens of dollars to hike and write about it is amazing. Super lucrative and emotionally fulfilling. Um, but, <laughs> but doing things like having to walk around with a GPS strapped to my chest and a camera and being conscious of everything around me, it was a challenge and it was a gift because you go out there and I would meet people on the trail and they would know exactly who I was. They were like, oh, you're the guidebook author, aren't you? I'm like, how did you know? And they're like, because you just stare at everything for so long, taking notes. You're always talking to yourself. I'm like, I'm not talking to myself. I'm talking to a recorder, I swear. Um, sometimes I was talking to myself, let's be honest. But, um, <laughs> but it forces you to really be super present. And it ended up, at first it was a challenge, and then it was this total gift, because it was like walking meditation. I was seeing every flower. I was seeing animals. I was seeing people, I was, you know, touching all of the dirt, all of the water, everything. It was like a part of me by the end of it. So challenge and a gift. Yeah, I had a, I had a few challenges. I, um, I signed my book contract uh, to go hike in a state that is two states away. <laughs> um, and two weeks later, we found out we were going to have a baby. Um, oh, man. So I have a daughter. She's almost three. And probably the most difficult thing for me was trying to coordinate, um, basically, you know, not letting my wife feel like I was abandoning her to go do this really fun thing, hike in the wilderness uh, while she was pregnant, and then also why she had an infant, and then also why she had a one-year-old. Um, so that was a little bit of a, uh, a domestic challenge at times, um, but we made it. We made it work, or she made it work rather, really. Um, and then I think the other thing was really just, uh, you know, writing is a lot of time in front of a computer, um, which is the opposite of hiking, really. And that was probably the other thing that really got to me after, I don't know, the like 10th month. It was a lot of computer time. <laughs> I would say probably the biggest challenge that I faced during my book writing process was 
developing the maps that we put into the books. <laughs> hear all those groans up here? Um, because each of us went out with a GPS device and uh, surveyed the trail on our own. But the interesting thing is that GPS devices are not 100% accurate 100% of the time. And uh, so when we went to go and uh, uh, kind of correlate our data and break it all down so that we could be sure that we are producing the most accurate uh, information available, we would go and compare that to other resources that were available, such as popular trail maps and forest service maps and some of the apps and other um, resources that are available right there, out there. And we would find that nothing matched. It's like you could look at one section of trail that you may have measured to be five miles and another map would say 4.9 and another map would say 4.8 and another map would say 5.2. And so we had a lot of discussion about how to go and correct our maps so that they would be as accurate as humanly possible um, and make sure that we're providing people with the best information that we can. And uh, so I know that uh, myself and Tammy and I, we commiserated over maps for months, and uh, I'm sure the California folks did too, but um, it's a lot of, it was, that was probably the most time and work intensive portion I found working on the book. All right, a quick little break here to uh, show some support with these sponsors. This is Waymark Gear Co., Waymark Gear Company, waymarkgearco.com. I want you to go over there and check out all the little ways that you can edit your pack. You know, basically um, you know, spark it with some colors here and there. And I'm telling you, I don't know the exact number, but there's got to be at least 20 or, or more ways that you can change a color on this pack. It's so cool. And, and you can also change the, the uh, pockets around. You can make one long pocket on the side for, like, your longer items. Um, you could add straps if you wanted to, uh, though, of course, that adds weight or whatever. Uh, it really, you can just build your own pack based on these, um, on, on what he's got set up. That's Mark Benson over there at Waymark Gear Company. And uh, I'm on the website right now just kind of messing around. I think you guys should go check that out. I wanted to kind of throw out some some of the prices. I mean, he's got 38 to 40 liter, 42 liter packs on there for 195 is where they start. And uh, you know, 50 liter pack starts at 225. Please go over there and at least just check it out. And uh, hey, tell them the Cascade Hiker Podcast sent you. Thanks. Yep, maps. <laughs> Hands down. So I watched an entire Downton Abbey, uh, the entire thing while I was going through <laughs> all my maps because I needed my brain to not be in the moment sometimes. So it's like, okay, talk to me, English people. Talk to me. All right, well, what about, uh, if we, does everybody know what trail names are? So, yeah, when you get on the trail, sometimes if you're hiking a long time, maybe a friend might give you a name or something. Uh, definitely, if you're through hiking, that's kind of a, a standard. You get a trail name. It's not uh, Rudy. It's something cool. Big which, Rudy. Yeah, Big Rudy. Okay, yeah, there you go. <laughs> that's fitting. Um, do you guys have trail names, or, or did you get them? I mean, I know, you know, Definitely, Philip. You through hiked. I'm sure you got one. And uh, Tammy, you're on the trail for a long time. You got one, I'm sure. So, what what are they, and how is there a story behind them if there is? I'll start. I'm Duda on the PCT. Um, I like birds. I'm a bird nerd, 
and I saw some really great bluebirds down uh, when I was down in California, uh, and um, I was super excited about it, and I was by myself, extremely exuberant, probably looking like a complete weirdo on a picnic bench, uh, and a guy came by and said, um, what are you looking at? And I told him, there's bluebirds everywhere. I was pointing to a ponderosa pine, and he was like, wow, you're just one zippity away from a doodah, aren't you? I, was like, I guess I am, so that's how that worked out. Well, since I haven't through-hiked the PCT, I never got a trail name. Um, and uh, when I was doing all of my research on the trail, uh, three summers worth, um, I surprisingly saw very few people to uh, group up with and hang around and chat with, so I don't have a trail name. Hmm. But, but, but I'm taking suggestions, so if anybody has any good ideas, feel free to Eeyore? throw those out. <laughs> Um, so my, my trail name on, on the, uh, the thru-hike that I did was Sweet Tooth. And now there, every year there's usually a Sweet Tooth or two because, I mean, how many Sweet Tooths are there in this room? I don't know. There's probably a few. Uh, but my story, my story was a little bit different. I was dubbed Sweet Tooth because I was sharing uh, some personal details about my childhood, which I revealed that I used to wait until my mother wasn't looking and go drain her hummingbird feeders of the sugar water. <laughs> Man. I have to follow that? <laughs> oh, Philip and your stories. Um, so I'm rustic, and which originally started as the rustic because I was at the Acton KOA uh, during, actually during one of my section hikes, and it was New Year's Eve, and it was unusually cold in Southern California. The, Temps were forecasted to be, you know, like 29 degrees that night. So it was going to be really cold. And I had made a reservation because I didn't know how packed this KOA got. So I roll up and I made a reservation for the tenting area instead of the RV area. And their tenting area is called the rustic area. So I walk up to the counter at the KOA and the lady's like, hello, can I help you? I mean, she didn't really say it like that. She's like, hey. Um, and, and I said, yeah, I have a camping reservation. And she looked at me with a sheer horror on her face. She's like, oh, you're the rustic. The rustic is here. And she calls to some guy in the back. She's like, come out here. This is the rustic. She's going to do it. And I was like, what are you talking about? She's like, you're going to camp in a tent tonight? <laughs> and I was like, lady, I camp in the snow in the high Sierra in March. I'll be fine. She's like, oh, the rustic is here. <laughs> And the friend that was hiking with me was like, yeah, I think you just got your trail name. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. Uh, well, what about, uh, we, we kind of talked about the best spots of your trail. You know, we all kind of know some sections. We've heard of some sections along the trail are the best. Is there a, is there kind of a worst section? I, I don't like to, I don't like to talk bad on people, but, uh, you know, let's talk bad about the trail a little bit, you know, in your sections. <laughs> Don't listen, PCTA person. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> no, you know what? The trail, I just, this is an unfair question because section hiking kind of gives you the luxury of appreciating the trail in the moment that you're on it. Um, but I will say going through a burn area is so horrible. There's a burn area as you're heading towards Kennedy Meadows, and I just didn't, I didn't remember it when I was heading north. I was on a two-month hike this summer doing, the, doing my portion of trail. And it was like a six mile burn area, no shade, nothing. And at one point I was so dry and hot and tired, my feet were burning from the ground that I ended up crawling under a bush like a small animal. Um, that was a low point for me. <laughs> so <laughs> that, that was my worst part of trail. 
in, uh, in Northern California, there's sort of a notorious section called the Hat Creek Rim. And everyone talks about that because it's a 30-mile dry stretch. No water sources for 30 miles. Um, that's not technically true. It's just sort of lower. It's actually like a 22-mile dry stretch because oh. there is <laughs> a water source down an incredibly steep hill that you have to basically fall down and then <laughs> crawl back up. Um, but back to Shantae's con uh, whatever. I can't talk, apparently. Oh, <laughs> Shantae's whatever. Incisive back, commentary. back to her incisive commentary. Um, when, I, when I through hiked, the Hat Creek Rim was totally... Uh, it was evil. Everyone was, it, it was, it was this terrible, horrible place that we had to go and had to get through. When I section hiked, uh, rather than do it in the middle of August, I did it in early May, and it was full of wildflowers, and it was green instead of brown. I didn't see any rattlesnakes. I saw like seven in August. Um, so it is, section hiking allows you that freedom to sort of visit places at the height of their glory and take your time and plan a little bit. Um, and have some different experiences. Um, when it comes to worst section of Oregon, I'd be lying if I said there were none. Um, <laughs> there, there are a few burn areas, there's a few dry areas, but um, I'll share where I think the scariest section of trail is, and that's, uh, that's a place down in kind of central southern Oregon, below uh, the Sisters and the Diamond Peak area, um, in a little mountain pass called Windigo Pass. and. Uh, Windigo happens to be a Native American term for man-eating monster. <laughs> and uh, there's a little trailhead campsite right there, which is the only campsite that's available for miles. And so a lot of hikers, section and through hikers, utilize that space to throw down their tents for the night. And they just happen to be camping at Windigo Pass, uh, named after this uh, particular creature. So if there are any Bigfoot hunters in the crowd tonight, um, you might want to head down that way and check it out. I got one. Did you see this man-eating monster? I did not. No. no. <laughs> Were you eaten? <laughs> it's not eaten. There, there was an abandoned van in the parking lot, though, so I can't attest for any of the folks that might have been. Uh, <laughs> uh, Washington is beautiful. I mean, I hate to be that person, <laughs> but it's really beautiful, right? I know. I know. It's okay. We can agree. Um, uh, there, there are really nothing. I mean, if you were, say, dropped into Washington from Minnesota, your mouth would be on the ground the entire time. But because we're spoiled, right, and we know what high alpine, subalpine country looks like, um, I would say that probably the least appealing, which is still a stretch, would be from Bridge of the Gods um, up to Forest Road 23, which is the start of the Mount Adams Wilderness. But even that, like you pass Indian Heaven Wilderness, which if you haven't been, has anybody hiked in Indian Heaven Wilderness? Anybody that's here? Uh, yeah, a couple of people have. It is absolutely stunning. It's all lakes and meadows, and it's grand. So berries. it's like, and ber tons of berries. And um, so lots of mosquitoes. So I guess that would be the, the downfall. <laughs> but it's beautiful. So yeah, hard, hard to pick a, a least favorite for me. Yeah, I haven't done the whole trail, but uh, I would have said like Snoqualmie South. I know that's uh, Jim Miller's favorite uh, section, but... Uh, Man, I tell you, there's a lot of logging roads visible and cars and stuff. So, anyway. Although I will say, you cross North Peak Wilderness, and there are tons of mountain goats, and there's some really, yeah. really rustic areas in there that are just gorgeous. Yeah, okay. No, it, it really is. It's, it's good. Um, 
What, uh, <laughs> what about uh, funny or embarrassing moments? I mean, <laughs> this could be researching the trail or even through hiking the trail. It doesn't matter. Um, just on the Pacific Coast Trail. Do you guys have any of those? All right. Phillips first. Apparently, he's got a good one. We've, They're like, here. We've been watching you, and we've decided that you're prepared for this story. <laughs> <laughs> it, does, it does, however, involve poop. <laughs> it always does. <laughs> and I know, there's, I know there's children here, but, you know, they all start out pooping, so I think it's fine. Um, so on my thru-hike, very early in my thru-hike, actually, not even to the 100-mile mark, um, we came around a corner on a hot day, and there was an RV serving free chili dogs. Trail magic. <laughs> Everybody knows where this is going right now. <laughs> they also were serving beer. Um, so I, I rose to the occasion, and I had two chili dogs <laughs> and several beers. And then I went to bed. And uh, it's basically all you can do after you have two you know, chili dogs and a couple of beers after hiking all day, you go to bed. So I went to bed and I woke up in the morning and we sort of were getting a prompt start. You know, it was early and we wanted to avoid the heat. And uh, at this particular road crossing, the trail continues in an extremely open field uh, on the other side of the road. And so I was starting to, to walk and uh, I detected a need. <laughs> Perhaps a demand would be a better, a better way to frame that. Um, but there was no cover, and there were probably, I would say there were at least 15 hikers in view. Um, I saw a bend in the trail, and it approached some large oak trees, I think they were. Um, maybe some pines, but that doesn't matter. I didn't make it there. Um, <laughs> I tried to reach the trees. And the trail approached them, and then I realized that the trail actually took a, a big, long switchback right there. And so, <laughs> in effect, all the hikers that were ahead of me that I had been letting go ahead of me to give myself some privacy were, in fact, coming back towards me. <laughs> but this time, elevated. So they had a very, very, very good view of me. Um, at this point, I really had no, I had no options. There were no options. And so I decided to just sort of make a mad... Uh, butt-clenching dash towards the trees, which didn't work. Um, when I thru-hiked, I did not wear any underwear because of chafing. And so it, sh it just so happened that the, the first um, relief did not actually hit my shorts. It actually just managed to escape the legs of my shorts. <laughs> and... And struck my lower legs and shoes. <laughs> Sweet and tooth. <laughs> Sweet tooth. <laughs> that was my that was my special moment. Does anybody else have one? I, I can't even imagine. Uh, Who wants to yeah, follow no, that? No, no, okay. Yeah. All right. Well, um, yeah. <laughs> I don't even know what to say. Yeah, I don't have a story like that. I, I My mom would be so uh, proud. Yeah. Give it up for Philip's yeah, honesty. Yeah. yeah, that's good. Yeah. How many months were you on the trail during that hike? I was slow. I took six months. Yeah, 
So after six months, you're going to have a story like that. I'm sorry. You just, it, yeah, you're not staying happen. in the house. You know, you yeah, just, yeah just, it's going to happen. insane for that. Yeah. No yeah. underwear. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Enough said. Um, what about Trail Magic? Uh, does everybody know what Trail Magic is? Uh, for the most part, no hands went up. A couple nods. Uh, can somebody describe that? And did you guys get that? Oh, trail magic. Trail magic is that moment where you turn a corner and then the angels sing. Ah. That was and good. Yeah, it's just like that. It's just like that. And it, it may just be that you are in the middle of a meadow in the high Sierra and you see a small sign next to the trail that says Canadian checkpoint ahead. And then you notice a hiker in front of you suddenly run through the field away from the sign because he thinks that in the middle of the Sierra in California, he's going to be checked for his Canadian visa permit, <laughs> which did not happen. Um, and as you continue down the trail, then you see a giant Canadian flag strung across the trail. And you're like, huh, that doesn't seem natural. <laughs> and then you go a little further, and a man in a Mountie outfit comes out and starts singing Oh Canada to you. <laughs> you're like, what is happening? And as he's singing, somebody else comes out and just hands you a baggie of snacks. And it was, you were there. This was like one of the most surreal things that I've ever experienced on the trail, that whole scenario. And then they led us to a campfire where they were cooking sweet potatoes and spaghetti and s'mores. They even gave me extra contact solution. It was, it was amazing. I left my contact solution in the hotel in Lone Pine. My eyes were so dry. <laughs> it was such a beautiful moment I'll never forget. So if you guys didn't gather, then trail magic is just when something just happens to you on the trail. Yes. Where you're just like, you weren't expecting it, and just boom, there it is. And uh, I've heard it described as, uh, when you need it, there it is. Uh, what? <laughs> Angelic. Yes. Philip, I know you got a story. You know, that's uh, no underwear. That, yeah, that's the, best, that's the best trail magic story I've heard, honestly. I didn't come across anything that dramatic or exciting. But I was extremely appreciative with every you know, odd and end. I do remember, actually, I remember running Describe into Describe odd and ends. I mean, what, what, what is odd and ends? Oh, I mean, man, everything. The, tell like, the crowd. Yeah, like um, everything from a cold beer in the middle, like this guy who hikes with a refrigerator on his backpack, like a refrigerated backpack, yeah. and you know, like, hey, you hiking the PCT? Yeah, here you go, man. You earn this. And you're just like, whoa, all right, cool. Um, homemade goodies. Like I got, there were a lot of people, day hikers out there who happened to have like whatever, half of a pie for some reason. And they're like, you know, we don't actually need this. You should take it. And then you eat the entire thing. Um, so the whole mix of things. Or there's a guy who comes out and works on people's feet out there. And if you've ever seen pictures of people's Is it Greg? Feet, He's got feet in his hands right now. Look at that. There you go. There you go. There's our foot doctor. <laughs> Maybe it was Greg. <laughs> but yeah, a huge, huge mix. It's like whatever a hiker needs. There is one trail angel that when you get there, they they bathe your feet for you. They they give bring you out a tub of water. You put your feet in it. It's magic. Yeah. All right, a quick break here to spotlight uh, Lux Tents. That's uh, luxhikinggear.com. L-U-X-E dash hiking dash gear dot com. Uh, we're going to talk about the their uh, cheapest tent that you can pick up. I mean, in price, not quality, of course. Um, that's the Mini Peak Pyramid two-person backpacking tent, and uh, this is $115. Go to their site and check it out. Uh, like you say, luxe-hiking-gear.com. There's a link in the show notes, of course. Um, 
you know, right now it's, I'm on the website kind of checking it out, and um, this is a three-season, uh, you know, 2.2-pound, two-person tent. You know, there's no floor. It's the uh, um, pyramid style that Lux Hiking Gear does. And anyway, you know, if you really want to go cheap, cheap and lightweight, you know, check this out. I mean, this is kind of like I've been saying, uh, just the better way to go because it's a more personal relationship with the brand, um, to local to me, company, uh, cottage company here, and Jake's a friend of mine, and he's sponsoring the show. So I want you guys to at least go check it out, luxe-hiking-gear.com. Thanks so much. Enjoy the rest of the show. I would agree with all of that. Um, it's really nice to really get those those surprise treats when you come across uh, other campers or hikers in the area. Although I got to say, probably the best thing that uh, I've ever experienced is getting fresh fruit. Um, because uh, when you're out on the trail for several weeks or months at a time, um, you're eating a lot of freeze-dried stuff and a lot of junk, and uh, you really don't have a lot of opportunity to eat fresh food. Fresh food, and when that comes available, then it's really a godsend. And uh, my wife and I, when I was working on the Oregon book, we were in uh, we were two weeks along a three-week section of trail that we were going to hike, and um, it had been really hot, and a couple of days were a real struggle. And then we rolled into a uh, a camp area that was popular with pack-in boaters. And uh, there were uh, a few folks there. They had a big barbecue, and they were just making up a bunch of food. And they offered us some of their dinner, which we were just extremely appreciative for. We didn't have to eat our freeze-dried noodles that night. But then when dinner was over, they came over and they gave us a handful of apples and oranges. And uh, my wife, who's a real fruit fanatic, um, was going through some serious withdrawals at the time. And when she saw those, she just started bawling. <laughs> she was so happy to have fresh fruit on the trail. Uh, I have a couple of different things, but I'll, I'll tell you probably the best one was I was at Kennedy Meadows, and um, it, it, Kennedy Meadows is a really interesting place. It, you get there, and there's just tons of people, and some people hang out there for weeks, right, Shante? Yeah, yeah. I mean, they just <laughs> literally just park themselves, because it's a really, it's like the only place in the middle of, like, it's the start of the Sierra, but it's kind of the transition zone between the desert, and there's like this giant, it's really hard to explain unless you've been there. It's this weird subculture. There's this giant deck, and everybody is sitting out on this deck, and it's like there is so much garbage. There's like garbage for days right on the tables, and nobody's bus. It's just a very weird environment. I got there, and I was complete in I was just completely in culture shock. I was like, what is happening? There's music. There's like Crimson and Clover playing on one side, and then the other side, there's a TV with chanting and I was like oh my goodness what have I walked into so I went and I set up my tent and I hid in there and uh, at some point I overheard <laughs> someone saying there was going to be someone was delivering food or something so I, I meandered out and walked out onto the deck and I saw this woman and she was carrying this giant bowl and it was empty and I was like oh am I too late and she was like oh we're having a girls party don't tell do you want to come and I'm like yes What's that? yes I do I don't know what that is but I want to come and um, anyway, she invited, uh, Shantae actually met me up there, and, and she invited us to uh, her house and, and gave us this beautiful chicken salad, which, again, fresh produce, big deal when you're on the trail, uh, and a shower.
shower and laundry, which was, and it was just, it was beautiful. She lived in Kennedy Meadows, so she was just over there, and it was just a handful of us girls, so it was super, super generous of her, and a big treat, and I, I offered to give her a couple bucks, which is what you do for Trail Magic, and she said, nope, just send me a Christmas card. So I have done that every, every year since. Just a girl's party. All right. So Tammy had sent me some questions, and, you know, I... I normally don't plan these out. I just, when I'm doing my podcast, I just ask questions. And this one I would have never asked, but there's got to be a good story. Um, she said, have you ever cried along the trail? So uh, I, I don't know who that was for. So I like how she just hands it straight to me. <laughs> we all oh. knew that was going to happen. <laughs> So many tears. There's so many tears that happen out there. There's tears of frustration. There's tears of joy. There's tears of sadness. There's tears when you get really bad chafe. <laughs> Those are some serious tears. Yeah, I mean, I, I definitely cried out there. I cried for surprising reasons, though. I remember one day um, I was hiking. I was out for two months, and I came to uh, Muir Pass. And Muir Pass is a you know, one of the high passes in the Sierra, and there's this sort of stone hut up there. And I will say that I was super, super hangry that day. <laughs> um, I did not have enough nutrients. I'd been out there already for like a month and a half, and I'd lost 15 pounds. So every day I was getting a little hangrier. And I got up to the hut, and I just remember standing there, and I just burst into tears. I just started blubbering. I'm like, I'm so grateful to be here. But I think I was mostly crying from hunger, <laughs> um, which I rectified later. But yeah, that moment of just suddenly like, getting to this place, and I don't know what it was, because it's just a hut. It's just a pass. Like, I'd been to many other passes. But that moment and that depth of hunger just hit me all at once. I was very emotional. That's cool. It may have been a sign that on my thru-hike, the time that I cried the most was in Northern California, <laughs> which I later returned to on many occasions. Um, and that was really just, you know, thru-hike, you, uh, you're just pushing and pushing and pushing and pushing every single day. And no matter how much you love what you're doing, um, you just hit those moments where it's all a lot. And Northern California happens to be about the halfway mark. It actually has the halfway mark of the PCT in it. And... Uh, you know that's a that's a significant moment when you when you arrive there and you you either feel elated that it is half over or sad that it's half over or stunned that you've only gone halfway and you feel the way you do um, so i certainly I certainly had some tears in that area um, probably the one time that I shed uh quite a few tears on the trail was when I was hiking down through the Sky Lakes Wilderness, which is in Southern Oregon. Um, it, was, uh, it was a really hot, we were having a really hot summer, and so every afternoon there were lots of dry thunderstorms, and I was just watching the lightning hit the peaks and the ridges around me, just praying that one didn't uh, hit the peak or the ridge that I was on. And at one point I got to a high point called Devil's Peak, which is in the middle of nowhere, uh, down below Crater Lake National Park. And uh, it had taken me a couple of days from my last road crossing to get to this point. And at this point, I had a complete 360 vantage of everything around me. And at this point, I could see that the pass that I had come through two days earlier was now on fire. And the pass that I was heading towards to enter Crater Lake Park was on fire. And there were several fires burning in both of the other directions. 
And so uh, I had a little bit of a freak out moment, just plopped down on the ground and uh, wondered uh, if I was gonna get out of this situation. And uh, so I carry a satellite phone with me when I hike by myself. And my wife has got my hiking itinerary, so she knows uh, pretty well where I'm supposed to be at any given time and what my destinations are. And so I was able to give her a call, and uh, I was like, honey, I got fire all around me, and I don't know where to go. <laughs> <laughs> and so uh, she, uh, she was able to give me a little bit of pep talk, and uh, so she was able to then make some phone calls, relay my uh, location to some... Uh, uh, land managers, and they were able to give her instructions back to me, and she was able to direct me which way to go forward. So I was able to uh, head in one direction and avoid one of the active fire areas. But um, that was a real, real, real frightening situation to be in, out in the middle of nowhere, surrounded by wildfires. Yeah, I had a, a really bad problem with blistered feet. Um, I hike a lot in Washington, my feet. I call them Northwest feet. They're soft and they're used to cushioned <laughs> pine needles. <laughs> they're not used to high heat and uh, sand and things like that. And so I ended up in kind of a, a rough situation. And by the time I got to Northern California, I sat on a rock and I caterwauled so loud that a day hiker came running thinking that something, something was, someone was seriously injured. I was so embarrassed. <laughs> and uh, at that point I was like, all right, <laughs> either get out of this game or start playing. And, um, and I realized that it's hard to explain. I'm not normally a big crier, but when the PCT, as fun as it is and, as, and, and the journey is amazing, it tests you to the very, very core of your soul at times. You will find out what you're made of and more. And uh, for me, I had had a 4th of July when I was used to spending it with friends and family here at home, doing something fun, you know, out on a trail with people I didn't know. They weren't family. I had lost my trail family because of my blisters. And I say trail family because you meet people out there and you become very bonded with them quickly. Um, but because I had to take a couple days of rest because of my feet, I'd lost them. And I don't know, it was just really hard. I, I was just going through an emotional low point. And what was um, interesting is when I got to Oregon, I came around a corner and I saw a girl sitting on a rock doing the exact same thing. And she apologized profusely. I'm like, high yeah, five. And her going, good. no, no, we've all been there. We get it. We totally get it. Yeah, that's good. I've cried on the trail before, and I'm not going to tell that story because it's on the podcast. You guys should listen to it. Um, uh, real quick, uh, we're kind of getting short on time a little bit but because we want to give people an opportunity to talk to you guys after this because now that they know you, they're going to want to talk to you. But uh, was there any inspirational people that you met on the trail? Uh, who were they, and what was the circumstances? I met a lot of really inspirational people, but one person that stands um, – uh, in front uh, comes to mind immediately is a gentleman who uh, was in his, I think he was 69 years old. He was a 101st Airborne Army vet. Um, he had lost part of his foot uh, in service and hiked with a prosthetic foot that was partial. So like his, it was a prosthetic set of toes, which I thought was interesting because his foot wow. didn't pronate. Yeah, That's it was pretty cool. amazing. Um, his, he, he's from Ohio. His wife had died the previous year. So as he hiked, he spread her ashes. And you could just tell that this guy had an amazing soul about him and um, I was in a really bad place with my feet at that particular time and so I had rented a car and, and rented a cabin just to try to get off my feet for a few days and I told him when I met him I said I have a car so if you want to get back to the trail I'll take you and that morning I had felt really sorry for myself I was just 
really angry that my feet were not cooperating. It was just a really bad, bad point for me. And um, he had called me and said, I need a ride. So I went with him. He could sense the emotional frustration I was going through. He handed me a giant stack of letters. And he said, read these when you get back to your cabin. And he handed me a baggie of beef jerky. And when I got back to my cabin, I went through these beautiful letters. And they were just so heartfelt from his family, but it wasn't, you know, they weren't personal, but they were just all these inspirational things like Papa, you know, here's what you should be singing in your head on the trail and, you know, little quotes to tell yourself. And I, for me, that was just the exact pick me up I need. So he was, for me, he was a huge inspiration. That's awesome. Did you eat the beef jerky? No, I'm just kidding. Of course, it was delicious. (laughs) Good story. When I spent a lot of my time hiking in Oregon, I encountered very few people on the trail, actually, which uh, I was actually surprised at because I anticipating seeing lots of hikers out on the trail, the through hikers and the section hikers. Um, but uh, for all the time that I spent out there, I very rarely encountered a lot of people. So unfortunately, I don't have a lot of stories um, about meeting folks like that. But a couple that I did meet um, in one particular section Uh, were particularly inspiring because my wife and I, we were hiking um, another two-week stretch because I worked on the trail a lot of times in two- and three-week stretches. But um, we we wound up keeping pace with another couple along the way. And we would chat with them. We would leapfrog along the trail. And uh, we wound up in a particular section where we were camping in the same areas because camp options were fairly limited. And so... After about the second or third night of uh, camping near these folks, uh, we got pretty friendly with them, so we would hang up by the campfire and share stories and what have you. And we noticed that this couple had packed along two lightweight camp chairs. And at the time, my wife and I, we were like, why the hell would you carry that extra weight out here on the trail (laughs) for two weeks? It's like, that's just, that's just dragging you down. And uh, at one point, they, uh, they decided to call it quits early and uh, go to tent. And they were like, hey, if you guys want to hang out by the f- fire and use our chairs, you're more than welcome. And so we we're like, well, OK, if you guys aren't going to use them. And so we settled into their chairs. And we we're like, oh, we're so going and buying chairs and carrying chairs, hiking with us. And we've done that ever since. So. That couple, Jan and Chuck of Eugene, Oregon, were uh, our inspiration to go and carry camp chairs on our trail now. <laughs> right on. Uh. Should we name him Lounger? Lounger. I like it. <laughs> um, I'm definitely uh, predisposed to being impressed by the sort of the extremities of the people out there. So the very young and the elderly who are still out there hiking. Um, I met a guy who was in high school and he was out there on his own. His parents were very concerned about him, Um, but he was cruising through and just having this really, you know, an interesting experience for a 16 year old. And I also met this guy who was 76 and he was out there trucking along. And uh, for me, that's, that's huge, because I want to be doing that when I'm 76. So I feel like a lot of the people who were out there, and they were, they were doing their own pace, they were doing their own thing, but they were getting everything they needed to get out of it, regardless of physical condition, age, whatever. Um, that's always the most inspirational to me. I love that. Um, so I met a guy named Pete Fish. Pete Fish. Some of you may have heard of Pete. Um, so Pete is 
uh, what is he now? He's probably 88. Um, when I met him, he was 85, and he was the head of the Trail Gorillas, which is a trail maintenance crew um, in Southern California. They maintain the first 700 miles of the trail. They work in cooperation with the PCTA. And Pete kind of helmed this crew and built it up over 25 years. Um, and he was retiring that year. And so I actually ended up writing a piece for Backpacker Magazine about Pete. And, you know, sitting there talking with him, he was so super humble about it. And I, I've been out there with him and his crews. And actually, when I was interviewing him, even though he was retired from leading the crew, I called him and he had just gotten back from five days clearing down trees with a chainsaw. <laughs> so Pete was quite inspirational to me. I actually ended up leading my own trail crew last year in the Stanislaus National Forest. So uh, Pete Fish will live on in my memory forever. Right on. Well, hey, um, I just want to say that uh, this isn't just for you guys. It's for, I'm going to be posting this podcast uh, to over 7,000 people that listen to the podcast on a regular basis, which is pretty cool. I mean, that's, that's a big number. And uh, I just, I mean, that's, that's, you know, that means a lot to me. I just do this for fun. I, I, it actually inspires me to get back on the trail. I always say inspires you to get back on the trail, but uh, it's actually reflected back on me. But, you know, for, for, for the people here, but more also for the people out there that are listening, um, you know, real quick, Tammy, why should people buy this, these books? Uh, well, uh, I, I feel like the four of us authors, um, we we're not just writers, we're hikers and we're passionate. We are just like you guys. We love this trail as much as you do and we've poured our heart and souls into every single sentence. And I know that might sound sort of cliche, but it's what we did. Um, and we, <laughs> we cried together, we laughed together, we banged our heads <laughs> on the desk together writing these guides so that they'd be as accurate as possible. And as we write for you, we don't write for us. We're not making money doing this. We're writing to share our knowledge with you guys and to help people get out and enjoy the beautiful places where they can get a little soul shampoo. So if you want that, it's in the books. Um, and we, we're super proud of them. Um, we've worked really hard to make them the best guides possible. They really are good. Please give it up for, uh, for these four guidebook authors. And we really appreciate everybody coming out tonight. Yeah, you guys are awesome. Seriously. That was a good show. It, this is, this is awesome, just everybody here, and uh, honestly, I can't say enough. So, please, uh, yeah, yeah, nice. Thank you, Rudy. Please, uh, please go outside and pick up, uh, pick up a copy of the book, or at least, at least say hi to these guys and and let them know how much you appreciated this. this is Tammy's the one that that put this all together, and and I, I really do appreciate it. And thanks to uh, to Whitewall for having us. Yeah. It's a big deal. And uh, I'm going to get back on in just a second after I go pee, and we'll do some more, uh, some more giveaways. Thanks, guys. Thanks Thank a lot. You. Oh, you're Anastasia, right? I'm Jack. This is Dennis. Nice to meet you. Yeah. Welcome to the band. You were sweet like honey on a heartbeat. You were fine like wine in the sunshine. 
I could feel you coming on strong. I could never be wrong. I could never be wrong. See her laying down in the tall grass, playing mandolin in a white dress. I come a running when I hear that song. I could never be wrong. I could never be wrong. But where you want to run, baby, I'll run too. I would leave this world for a beautiful girl if I could just find you. All right, Anastasia, go. Enigmatic like that of the cosmos. I never held your hand, but I come close. And I would give anything now just to kiss you. God, how I miss you. Where you want to run, baby, I'll run too. I would leave this world for a beautiful girl if I could just find you. I'm a country boy with a soft side. My heart wanders up north to the hillside. And I've never met anyone quite as beautiful as you. I've got nothing but my mind's curiosity. I've got nothing but a bucket full of wishbones. Pull them all till the day that you call, till the strong men crawl and the weak stand tall. You're an angel. With the devil's lips And I can't feel you At the edge of my fingertips I will find you If I have to break this world in two There's the chance I may never get to you. You were sweet like honey on a heartbeat. You were fine like wine in the sunshine. I could feel you coming on strong. It could never be wrong. It could never be wrong. Nice. How about that? Thank you, Anastasia. It was so nice to meet you. You are in the band. Look at all the phones that were out once we brought you up. <laughs> Thank you, guys. Uh, Jack Mattingly, Dennis Dorgan, Anastasia Allison. New member of the band, you heard it here first. Uh, thank you guys, uh, Jack Mattingly and Whiskey Fever. You can look up Whiskey Fever. We're on Spotify, iTunes, Facebook, MySpace, Friendster, LinkedIn, all of the above. Check us out, and thank you for your time. Rudy, thanks for having us.